Aloha. Oh, I got to try that again. Come on, it's supposed to be the party crowd, man. It's 1030. Aloha. There we go. I love it, man. It is such an honor to, to, to be here. I do have my family with me. This is their first time seeing snow, uh, and so we are loving it. We are also extremely cold. Uh, I, they got a, I got a picture here of them because they're sitting in front where you can't see them. So my beautiful wife, Sarah, right there. We've got Azariah, Makoa, Isaac, uh, Kalea, and Liliana right there. Got a, a full quiver. Someone say full quiver. <laughs> loving life, um, and we are having a great time. I cannot overestimate the impact of Front Range Church on Mana Church. And so, you know, you guys know, like any good football team, it's all because of the coach, right? Like the coach is the key. And so my coach as a church planter was none other than Pastor Ernest Smith. So give Ernest some love. So any success that God does through us, I mean, it comes back to uh, his incredible coaching. No, but you guys have been so generous and uh, just your support, your prayer. Um, this is not like, a, hey, you know, you're doing great. That's, no, no, this is a, a relationship that is, Lord willing, going to be the rest of our lives. And so we're so blessed with Ernest and Sarah and your guys' friendship and uh, just, you know, what you've done for our marriage and our family and, you know, beyond the, the church stuff. I mean, God's got the church stuff, right? Jesus is going to build his church, but it's the relationships that we get to enjoy. Uh, and so we're thrilled to be here. Uh, it's such an honor to be able to speak and so excited about what God is doing here um, with the new home. And, and uh, I mean, we've been praying for that for years and, and we're in a similar journey, just believing God for that next step. But whether, you know, where you meet, it's all about the people, right? That's what the church is about. And, and as we get into the word today, I'm excited to sow into you guys as the people of God and this great local church. And so if you've got your Bible, open up to 1 Kings 19. That's where we'll spend most of our time there. Uh, and as you get there, I'll give a little context. So 1 Kings 19, what leads up to it is Elijah the prophet prophesies, hey, there's going to be no rain for three years. And that's what happens. And so God says, you got to go into hiding because they blame you for no rain. And so he's under the threat of his life. He's in hiding. Uh, Ahab is the king of Israel. The Bible says that he did more to provoke the Lord to anger than any other king, mainly because of his wife. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into that. It's not a marriage series. But uh, anyway, his wife, her name was Jezebel, and she basically turned Ahab's heart away from the Lord and the people's heart away from the Lord, uh, set up Baal as the lowercase g god of the land. They destroyed the altars. I mean, everything that, that the people of God have built up, she kind of tore down. And so um, we see 1 Kings 19 comes at the end of what I call the most epic WWE smackdown in biblical history. If you know the story, Elijah comes out of hiding and he says, all right, here's the challenge. I'm back and I challenge all 450-year prophets of Baal to a grudge match. Someone say grudge match. One verse 450. That's a true man right there. I like those odds. So he says, here's how we're going to do it. Set up one sacrifice for, for my God. You set up a sacrifice for your God. And we'll both call out to God. And the first God that burns up the sacrifice, that is the one true God. And all the Baal prophets are like, yeah, let's do this. And so they set it up. And he lets them go first. And, and they're doing all they can to call out to their God. And nothing is happening. And I love it because, you know, smack talk is biblical. Like, there's actually trash talk in the Bible. Go ahead and read it. Read it, all right? First Kings, I think it's 18. Elijah's like, what? Is your, is, your, is your God asleep? Is he using the bathroom? And, you know, and so he's talking trash, and these guys are making a fool of themselves, and they start dancing and chanting and shouting and cutting themselves, and all the supposed religious spiritual stuff, nothing happens. 
Finally, Elijah says, enough of that. He calls the people of God. He says, hey, come help me rebuild the altar of the Lord. They choose 12 stones to represent every tribe, and he has them help him rebuild the altar, builds a trench around it, fills it with water twice, douses the offering with water. Like, that's the most precious commodity they have. He's like, just toss it on there, and he calls out to God, and immediately, boom, fire comes, burns it up, and all of a sudden, it just took a huge turn. The people bow down to worship God, and Elijah says, hey, do not let one of these prophets escape. They grab every single one of them, take them down, and, I mean, they slaughter them right there. Like, it just, it, it, it escalated quickly into a do-or-die battle, and huge victory, and we get into 1 Kings, or, uh, sorry, um, yeah, 1 Kings 19. And so, as we look at the first verse there, this is immediately after this huge victory. And so it says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of thinking if I'm Elijah, I'm like, like that's, that's, that's a loud bark, but where's the bite? Because how did it turn out for your guys yesterday, right? Like, what authority do you have? What power do you have? But what's interesting is after such an incredible mountaintop experience, Elijah's response is he's afraid. And it says he fled for his life, and he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now, again, you think about it. How does he go from this incredible victory to saying, Lord, take my life because I'm worthless. I'm, I'm, I'm doing no good, and I'm better off dead. Well, if you think about it, Elijah's story, for three years, he's been under intense stress. Right? For three years, he's had to live in hiding. For three years, he's had to witness all the altars of the Lord torn down, the prophets killed, and, and all like everything he'd, he'd lived for was demolished over this period of time. And now, after this great victory, the first thing that happens is the very next day, a threat is made, an, an, an intimidation from Jezebel. And in his mind, it's like nothing changed. Even though everything changed, again, to him, it felt like nothing's changed because once again, my life is under threat, and everything I've done is worthless. And so it, it sees in this, in this point, we see Elijah going from not just stress, but beyond stress to the point of burnout. See, stress is linked to more of like a one-time, like, you know, stress is finals week in college, right? Stress is huge project at work. Stress is, you know, unexpected bills, and, and, and stress comes, and then you have periods of intense stress, right, where uh, over a period of time it can get hard, but when it seems never-ending, it tends to go from intense stress into full-on burnout, where it really feels like there's nothing you can do. It hits you physically, emotionally, mentally, and you get to this place where it feels like, yes, I'm better off dead. Jezebel, when she made the threat, it's like Elijah basically heard, hey, you know what? You might have think you had this victory, but nothing has changed. I still have the authority. I still have the power in the land. Now, was that true? Based off the previous day's events, I would say no. But when you're under intense stress over a long period of time and it compounds, 
what we feel and what's true don't always line up, amen? And often, all of a sudden, we can feel a way that's not actually reality. And so in this passage, we see Elijah really make three critical mistakes that really ended him, ended him to the point where he was burned out. And we often make these ourselves. And the first one is we tend to run ourselves into the ground, right? It says Elijah, he just fled for his life. So he didn't grab, didn't grab supplies, didn't, didn't plan for the trip. He just took off. And if you do the math and you, and you actually chart where he went, like that is a long journey to be traveled all day. Some translations say he just ran until he couldn't run anymore. And oftentimes what happens is we find ourselves in the same place where we just exhaust ourselves going from one thing to the next and to the next and everything piles up and you think you have margin here and all of a sudden a kid gets sick and all of a sudden that margin's taken up and, and, you, know, and you, you feel exhausted and you can't move. And what happens is in periods of intense stress, it just compounds the mental and the physical or the mental and the emotional that you're already dealing with in terms of the duress. And so that was the first mistake he made. The second mistake he made uh, that we do also is that we try to do everything on our own, right? It says he left his servant in Beersheba and he went on alone. And there's something about burnouts where we deceive ourselves and it feels like we're better off alone. It feels like, you know what, there's nothing anybody can do for me. In fact, it's better for them if I just deal with this on my own. And I know you guys love community, value community. It's right there on the poster. And so we understand that, no, no, it is not good to live life alone. We need the support of other people. We need the love and the encouragement and the truth-telling of other people. But in a stage of burnout, it's like, I've got to do this on my own. The third mistake he makes that we tend to do as well is that he dwelled on the negative. Remember, the huge victory he just experienced, what does he tell God, he says, I've had enough. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And when we get to this place of burnout, it's like we just, we kind of get stuck in this cycle of negativity. And even though there could be great things happening around us, it's all kind of hidden and shrouded by all the, the, the negative that we're focusing all of our energy on. Elijah was just used by God to perform one of the greatest miracles that any prophet could ever witness. And yet all he could think about was failure, failure, failure. And so the cumulative effect of all this for Elijah was burnout. And, and many of us will have the same, uh, I guess the word, I, again, I, I want to be, be sensitive here because um, one of my roles with the University of Hawaii, as Ernest said, I'm the chaplain, now they call me the leadership coach. And, and we went through... Um, a, a difficult stretch recently uh, that made national headlines because um, uh, basically all our star players started entering the transfer portal. There was you know, a bunch of public airing of a toxic culture and, and just you know, a whole lot of stuff. And so um, not the way you want to make national headlines. And there was some panic. And you know, the University of Hawaii football team is like the professional team out there. Um, it funds every other sport and all the you know, things like that. And so uh, it's kind of important that, that we do well. And so I have a meeting with the athletic director, and we're, we're, we're working through all this. And um, what's interesting is, you know, it got ugly. The, the state leadership got involved. Government leaders got involved. And ultimately, the head coach resigned. And uh, I remember the, the new coach coming in. And you know, my first meeting with the new coach, you think, well, maybe he's just going to clean house. And let's just, you know. And first thing he says, he goes, man, we've, we've, you've been underutilized. I'm like, are you not reading the papers, man? Like, you know, and, 
And what happened was, what I had done is I went to the AD and said, hey, I think we need to start this leadership council, and we got to pull in, you know, the top 15, 20 kind of influencers on this team, get them in a room, and, and let them share in a safe space what's going on. And they asked me to lead it, and so I led that. And uh, what was amazing was, I mean, the meetings were literally just me sitting there and opening the door for them to share about what's going on and, and getting a pulse of everything. And then they would share for a while, and then I would kind of just ask a few more questions. And ultimately, all I would say is, like, what you're experiencing is normal. Someone say normal. Right? They had the, the, the most intense and restrictive COVID restrictions of anybody in the nation uh, over the longest period of time. I mean, you know, my buddy in Florida said COVID lasted a weekend in Florida. Like, oh, yeah, we had it for a weekend, then it moved on. And, and uh, in Hawaii, it lasted like two, three years. In some ways, we're still dealing with it. They're like, oh, we don't do that anymore because of COVID. I'm like, dude, it's 2024, man. Like, we, didn't, we need to move on here. But, you know, when they, were, when they were going on the road, they would play in full stadiums and, and all the fans talking trash, they'd come back home and play in front of an empty stadium. You know, they couldn't eat together. They couldn't, there were so many things that were just unnecessarily restrictive that just compounded and compounded and, and all this stuff. And there was just this, this breaking point. And so just telling these guys, look, you're normal to feel this way. It is normal to feel this way. And all of a sudden, it's like when you go to a small group and you're struggling with something and internally you're like, man, there's something wrong with me. How can I not get over this? And maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I'm not this. And then someone else shares about the same struggle they're having. And even though nothing's changed, everything changed, you realize, wait, I'm not the only one. I'm not that bad. I guess this is something. And next thing you know, because it's been brought to the light and it's been uh, you know, normalized in a sense, like, hey, we're all works in progress here, right? None of us are a finished product. And next thing you know, you realize, oh, there's, there's grace and there's hope and there's freedom and there's light. And next thing you know, even though nothing's changed, everything's changed. And what's interesting is that when you look at um, you know, mental health issues, really they occur when our coping skills get overwhelmed. And John Hopkins University has created a kind of a continuum uh, that kind of brings us into light uh, and it's, it's three pieces, a three-part continuum, and it starts with resistance, then it goes to resilience, then it goes to recovery. And uh, depending on how well we're coping with the struggles of life and the stress of life, we fall in one of these three categories, resistance, resilience, recovery. When it comes to resistance, this is kind of the, the coping system and skills that allow us to navigate through life and the challenges and stress. And so this is where, you know, we, we re, re, uh, exercise regularly. Right? Maybe your, your, your solitude time with God, maybe your daily devotional time, uh, eating right, getting rest. These are all kind of things that are in our lives to naturally help us deal with and cope with the stress and the strain of living in a broken world. And then you have periods of intense stress, right? Maybe a storm comes, there's trials or whatever that is, and so that's where we got to move into resilience, and this is where there's perseverance required through a high-stress challenge. And then we re-engage the coping skills of resistance, right? So we recognize that this is a, a unique season. This is not normal, so I can't just stick to my normal coping systems. I've got I've to do something or at least recognize the abnormality of the moment and allow myself to persevere through this, give myself room to grow, get some extra support, whatever it takes, get some prayer. But I've got to build some resilience in this area. And that's why the Bible talks a lot about let endurance have its perfect result, right? And talks about persevering and, and why? Because because resilience is a part of life. It's a requirement because Jesus said it's not if, it's when the storms come. And so resilience is necessary. But then you get to the point where sometimes, uh, especially over a long period of time, 
Resilience isn't enough, and you get to the place where you need recovery. And it's kind of like if, you know, in, in, in my career, I broke a lot of bones, and, and there were certain bones that you break that you can actually still play, right? The whole thing is, are you hurt or are you injured, right? What's the difference? Well, if you're hurt, you can still go. If you're injured, you can't. And so there's certain things like you break a rib, you can still play through a broken rib. It just takes some resilience. But if you, I'm a quarterback, if I break my throwing arm, which I've done, it doesn't matter how resilient I am, I can't do anything good for the team. And I have to go into recovery. I've got to get some professional help. I've got to take some time to heal. And that's a normal thing that comes over a long period of time where we're having to experience high stress moments. And so the, uh, as we got into this, this, this situation with the team, recognizing that, that for so long they had carried so much stress and so much that, that the, the freedom that came with just hearing, hey, this is normal. And the new coach coming in, he couldn't believe the, 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 the willingness and the tenacity. These guys were diving into the offseason program full force because the problem is in college football, like your opponents are not going to give you any grace, right? Like they're not feeling sorry for us because of what we're going through. They're actually saying, yes, it's an easy win on our schedule. And so we don't have the luxury of being able to just kind of like, you know, sit under that strength. And so uh, it just, by God's grace, it, it really worked out well. And that's why I have the title of leadership coach now, because he said, we got to keep this thing going and it's helped build the culture of our team. But uh, a great resource that I've come across is a book called um, Mental Health for Spiritual People, written by, actually, written by a former MBA center um, who I got to know through an athletic ministry. And, and he kind of lays out the, the, the reality of all of us and what we experienced during COVID and kind of a great picture of what we're talking about. And he says, we all created three, we all experienced three universal high-stress conditions during COVID. The first one was isolation right? Mandatory lockdowns and social distancing and masks. You can't see people's facial expressions. So we all experienced isolation that, that was not by our choosing. And so with that, it created some things that overwhelmed our coping system. What does the Bible say about isolation? It is not good for man to be alone. I mean, that's before the fall. Like in the perfect world, it was not good for us to be alone, how much more so now in our fallen world, but what happened in COVID? We were all forced into isolation. So what he says, he says, you know what? If you struggled and your coping systems began to get overwhelmed through the isolation, guess what? You're normal. It's a normal response for a person created in God's image when they're faced with isolation over an extended period of time, amen? The second thing we all dealt with was disappointment. Right? How many had something canceled because of COVID that you were looking forward to? Yeah, that's most all of us. You guys, not raising hands or liars. Okay, we'll pray for you afterwards. It's cool. <laughs> all of us had something, right? And it started out with, oh, it's just going to be a few weeks. My wife laughs because she's like, I think we should go buy some masks. I'm like, we don't need masks. We're not getting any masks. We found ourselves a month later being the the, the distribution system for about 8,000 masks in our region because we're in a little bit of a lower poverty area. And so our, our city council rep was like, we got to get rid of masks. They can't afford them. We were, and she's laughing at me as we're giving out these masks. No masks, huh? And so everything, right? We're having, you know, family reunion canceled, prom canceled, graduation canceled, sporting events canceled, vacation canceled. All these things that we normally look forward to in life canceled. 
And this disappointment just compounding over and over, no end in sight. And what's the normal reaction? Well, according to Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so if you're a normal human being, what you experienced was some, some, some high stress and potentially overwhelming of your coping systems. Why? Because the natural response to hope being deferred over and over and over again is for the heart to be sick. And the third thing he said we all went through was uncertainty. Someone say uncertainty. Right? Matthew 6, 34 tells us, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And it's like, we get that, yes, but then all of a sudden when the world shuts down and your job may or may not be around after the next you know, six months working from home, all, everything we knew became uncertain. And next thing you know, your, your, your mind goes into this rabbit hole of what ifs. Well, what if this? What if that? What if like, I mean, we're still losing, our population is shrinking every year in Hawaii because of the amount of people we're losing because of the uncertainty, because of the changes that have happened on our island. And what happens is, even though, yes, we understand the verse, don't worry about today, even spiritual people, as uncertainty settles in, and especially over the expended time, what happens is all of a sudden, tomorrow's troubles compound and feel real in today's real time. And it creates this anxiety and this sense of overwhelm and overwhelms our coping system. So if you've struggled with, uh, you know, the dealing with uncertainty, guess what? You're normal. See, all these things are normal things that all of us experience. And what's crazy is that you go back to 1 Kings 19 and you read a few verses later, we see this exact struggle in Elijah's heart. See, he goes and he falls asleep under that tree and then an angel wakes him up and says, hey, eat some food. How many of you guys would love an angel to wake you up and make you some food? Like, I get that every day from my wife. Oh, woo! Anyway, she wasn't here first service, so I didn't do that. But uh, uh, where was I? No. So he eats the food, goes back asleep. Angel wakes him again. Hey, eat some more Chick Fil A. Here you go. You know, and uh, he gets enough. He goes and he meets with God, and we see in verse nine. God says, hey, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like, you just had this great victory. Why are you here? And Elijah says, watch his response, and look what you can see what's in his heart through his response. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And so we see isolation, right? I'm the only one left. He feels alone, and it's overwhelming his coping systems. We see disappointment. He says, I've zealously served you, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down your altars, and they've killed every one of your prophets. All of my efforts have failed. God, there's nothing else I can do. I've poured everything into this, and nothing seems to be changing. Then you see the uncertainty, right? He says, I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. I don't know when my last day is going to be. They're actively pursuing my life, and that, that stress and that strain and that uncertainty was crushing his ability to cope. And so we see it in Elijah's life. We all experienced it in our own lives. But what's beautiful about God is it's not a surprise to him. And you go to Matthew 11, and you see Jesus very clearly speaking to this issue when he says, hey, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. See, I can't overstate how important it is to stay close to Jesus in everyday life, but especially as we face these high-stress moments in our life and as they compound over time. See, it's not a surprise to God. God sees us and sees us in our broken world and understands whether it's our brokenness that's causing it or the brokenness of other people around us or just the brokenness of the world in itself that we will encounter things that we do not have the capacity to carry the weight of in our own, amen? He's saying you weren't designed to carry all the weight of life. If you're feeling weighed down with burdens, you're feeling weighed down with the, the, the trials that you're walking through, come and give it to me. Let me carry that for you, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. See, I remember as we went through our, our, our journey of planning our church, and, and what's crazy is, you know, because of Ernest's awesome coaching, we had a bunch of people that wanted to be a part of the church. Now, the problem was we couldn't find a place to actually meet as a church. And when you're on an island that's overpopulated and there's not a whole lot of land, there weren't a whole lot of places to meet. And I remember being told no by over 20 different locations, like nope, 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 nope. And some of them got mad at me even for requesting to like use a school. You mean our janitor's gonna have to come and open it? Like, whoa, whoa, like we just wanna give you some money to rent the space, you know? And, and it was just kind of hostile. And I remember uh, just feeling the weight and wondering, God, why in the world would you give us all these people to help launch this church, but not give us a space to launch the church. And I remember having to change up my, my normal rhythms of resistance. See, I've always had a great time with God in the morning. That's been from the moment I got saved as a 19-year-old. I, I came from a, a completely unchurched background, got saved as a student athlete at the University of Hawaii through an athletic ministry, complete life change and like radical difference. I grew up, I won't get into that story, um, but the one thing I learned right away was that, that that first hour of my day needed to be spent with God. I needed to know God, I needed to walk with God, I wanted God, and so I had that rhythm and I still keep that rhythm every day. And I've practiced Sabbath. I practice the Sabbath every week as God says to do and I, I take one day to rest and I don't work and, and all that great stuff. And I would do a, a monthly kind of like solitude time with God. Again, this was a full-time college football player. This wasn't me as a pastor. This was me as a, as a, as a young man after God's own heart. And then I get into, years later, get into this journey of church planning, and all of a sudden, the burden of finding a location, basically the burden of the uncontrollable, right? Anytime that you're faced with a situation that's critical for your livelihood, critical for your success, but it's dealing with factors that are beyond your control, just be aware that that is a setup for high stress and potential burnout if it, if it takes long enough. And so I just remember having to have uh, an extra time every single week, and it was actually the most important meeting of my week, where I would get away from anyone and everything. I'd just get uh, my, my, my phone and my earphones. I'd listen to worship music. I'd have my Bible and my journal. And I just had to meet with God every single week for a few hours at a time just to remind myself that it's his job to make a way and it's my job to trust and obey. Because when I began to feel like it was my responsibility to make things happen, my responsibility to make a way, I was taking responsibility for things I didn't have authority over. 
that's a recipe for disaster. And so getting into God's presence, it was like the, the, the burden and the weight that I was not designed to carry would now be transferred over back to him. And I would leave those times, nothing would change in the physical and the natural, but everything would change in the eternal. And now I had the capacity to once again lead people, lead my wife, lead my family. Compounding on top of that, we, you know, there's a big gap between my, my, old three, my oldest three boys and our two young girls because my wife had a series of four miscarriages through this season. One of them landed in the hospital and actually almost died from blood loss, and it was a long story. And the last one, they said it might be cancer, and so they had to do six months of blood work. And so here we, here we are trying to get this church off the ground and, and, and trying to lead these people and have three young boys. And, and it's not the, not the news you want to receive, right? But that's life, guys. We don't get to choose the storms we face, right? But we can choose to either carry them ourselves or give the burden over to God. And so the only reason I'm standing here and saying, I didn't burn out, is because these rhythms, resistance, resilience, let me give this over to God, and the extra time, and, and having relationships with people like Ernest. I remember one point coming out of COVID, my wife, you know, the voice of God most often sounds like your wife. Fellas, if you don't know that by now, that's just a great piece of marriage advice for you. So she's like, like, I don't think you're okay. I think you need to talk to, to somebody, a professional. Basically goes like, resilience isn't enough for you. You need to go into recovery. No, you know, you know, and so I happened to be talking to Ernest, and he knows my wife, and so he knows how godly she is, and he's like, oh, we need to help you out. And so I said, well, do you know somebody? He said, well, yeah, I, I know somebody. And so I talked to the guy, and he's like, well, yeah, and Ernest is already covering your first, like, I don't know how many sessions. He's like, I'm not going to let you run away from this. You need this. And I'm just here telling you guys, like, burnout isn't a place that we all have to live. And sometimes, yes, recovery is necessary, but the goal of recovery is to get out of recovery and get back into resistance, amen? And so we develop these rhythms, but if you don't understand how normal and natural this is, like I can stand it in and say, I am still just as vulnerable to getting to where Elijah got to today as I was how many years ago? It's a matter of, am I practicing healthy rhythms of coping? And when abnormal things come, when high stress seasons come, when, when things are compounding over time, am I using the wisdom to recognize that and saying, I don't need to carry this alone. I don't have to, I don't have to run the rat race and exhaust myself day after day after day. I mean, guys, sometimes look at, look at Elijah's life. All you need, the most spiritual thing you do, take a nap and eat a snack, right? That's what the angel told him, hey, eat this and go back to sleep. That's sometimes what we got to do, right? Take a vacation. Use your vacation days. But I say this because God's job is to make a way. Our job is to trust and obey. If you're taking notes today, that's a great thing to write down. By the way, if you're taking notes, you're going to heaven. Just, I've worked it out with God already, all right? But we tend to bring a lot of the stress and a lot of the anxiety upon ourselves when we try to do God's job for him. And we try to control the things that we don't have the authority to control. That's why God says, no, this is a life of faith. This is a life of relationship. You're gonna walk with me, give me these burdens, trust me, and simply obey the things I tell you to. And that's when we can actually live 
and see him do the great things. Like I told the first service, we started out in the shoebox. We finally found a place to meet. I called it the armpit of the island. It was, it was, it was disgusting, all right? I got lost the first two times I went there. Like I went there, I got lost, I finally found it. The next week I went back to meet with the general manager, I got lost again. Like that's how off the beaten path it was. It was old, it was nasty, it was a shoebox of a movie theater. My head almost touched the screen, kind of like right here. Um, but we were faithful with the shoebox. And the, the, they, they, they made them, corporate told them, hey, you have to remodel because it's just nasty. And so they came to me six months into our church and like, hey, sorry, you guys are gonna have to find another place to meet. Well, we couldn't find a place. This is the only place that said yes. And again, you got the tendency to, oh my gosh, I gotta make a way. But it's like, no, Lord, I've learned. You have a place for us. You're building your church, you got a place. And sure enough, the place we wanted to meet, which is in Kapolei, it's the second city, fastest growing part of the island, that's where we wanted to plant, but there was nowhere to meet. So we had to go to the shoebox. Well, they happened to build their like crown jewel right in the, the center of retail for that whole region of the island. Beautiful mall, tons of parking, huge, beautiful theater. They weren't gonna let churches meet there because it was their crown jewel and churches didn't have a great reputation. So they then said, hey, would you guys consider moving to, it's called Olino. We went from the shoe box to the luxury box. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and that was because we were just being faithful of what God had given us. And if you're just faithful day in and day out and you trust God and you obey what he says, guess what? He will make a way for his promises to be fulfilled in your life. But we have to understand, all of us, run the risk of burnout if we don't stay connected to Christ and give him those burdens actively, amen? Why don't you back? Let me close us in prayer real quick. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the timeless truth that we're hearing today, and I thank you for just the, the healthy spotlight you're placing on mental health and, and emotional health and just the reality that we are works in progress, susceptible, every one of us, so God, I pray right now that you'd meet us. I pray all of us now under heavy stress, maybe some in that burnout stage, God, I pray for peace right now to flood our hearts and minds, rejuvenate our soul, bring hope, bring light, and bring life in Jesus' name.